So for the audience's <laughs> sake, like we text, like so me and Stomp text back and forth about like ideas for the show and Stomp. He's like throwing this idea of like we got to do tick jokes. So I think he slipped a couple <laughs> in and when we did the tick segment, but he's like this is like probably. He, t- he, he texted me earlier today and he's like, we're going to do a tick joke segment. And I, I think it was like the third time he's mentioned it to me and I was like, all right, whatever, we'll do it. So, but <laughs> you got your tick jokes up. I got him. I got him. I got it off my skin. Get it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, uh, so. Oh, man. That was a good one. All right. Broadcasting from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire. Welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stomp. Okay, Stomp, we are on episode 13. Mm, 13. Is that a good number, a lucky number? Unlucky number? This show's probably going to... This show's going to be a disaster. It's not not lucky. Thirteen. Ooh, something creepy about that. Seriously, how long have we been doing this for now? Oh, let's see. We're going back. What episode five was like done in May, right? May eighth. So. I don't know. We're on thirteen, so two and a half months. But it took it what yeah. at least. <laughs> a year. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we a year of prep time. Bomb. We came up with we oh, came up with probably the, like two years we were talking about. Yeah, it exactly. We had the gear laying around, and then we just shelved it for a while, and then we got into the we got into the, the uh, software side of it, and that took a while. It's been a while. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah we we made it though. We're gonna get to a hundred before you know it. <laughs> yeah, and ever increasing downloads. Maybe not fifty million, but we're getting up there now. Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting for. Uh, IBM or Oracle or some some big big company to want to advertise for or, or REI REI can advertise with us. <laughs> I just want something local like um, let's see, Lahoot sponsored by Lahoot. <laughs> oh, that'd be nice. That would be nice. <laughs> New Hampshire Chronicle features. Oh, Wheels Tale oh amusement or uh, or Storyland would be even better. Uh huh. What's that crazy Western one that's up by uh, Twin Mountain there? That Western place oh that's closed oh it is like I permanently think, i think oh, that's heartbreaking that's the one next to santa's village i think it's called um oh my god i'm gonna i'm gonna forget that's a great one it's gone now no it was horrible i went there once with my kids it was boring hmm. what's that one over in on 16 near jackson you're thinking about the wolf man yeah well that's that's um, clark's Clark trading yeah, post that one's good yeah <laughs> So Six Gun City, Six That's Gun City it. is what you were talking about. Yes. Six Gun City is next to Santa's Village, which Santa's Village, this is going to be very controversial, so I'm sure <laughs> people are going to make comments about this, but Santa's Village, better than Storyland. Hmm. I, yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah. It's open for debate. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. It's the great debate. But for me, the reason why, so, all right, we're going to get into this a little bit, so we'll get into Search and Rescue shit in a minute, but... Um, if you're a parent and you've got kids, the reason why I recommend Santa's Village is it's higher elevation. It's typically cooler, and there's a lot more trees up in Jefferson. Storyland is great, but it's sort of like a concrete jungle in, in a lot of that area there, so it gets really hot um, in the summertime. And I just prefer Santa's Village. It's Christmas. <laughs> Decorating cookies is the best. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like the other one, I guess. I don't know. 
I have fun memories of uh. taking the kids there, and then we would go to a restaurant after, and there was this one restaurant nearby uh, that would sell a drink that was named I Survived Storyland. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good drink. Yes. <laughs> Is it just like six straight shots of vodka? <laughs> yeah, something. Oh, good times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I go. I definitely love Storyland and Santa's Village. So you can't go wrong with either mm-hmm. one. <laughs> Very good. All right. So we are. Uh, we're going to transition a little bit here, and uh, we're going to be talking about COVID tonight. So um, wah, wah. you know, we're going to take a. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. We got some search. We got some crazy search and rescue stuff too that we're going to cover. But uh, but this week we are going to take a look back at the impact that COVID has had on the New Hampshire hiking community, and we'll get a little bit of uh, detail on Stomp's perspective on um, you know how this affected search and rescue, and you know it's dealing with sort of the impossible challenges of operating in the field while also trying to. Protect yourself from exposure, um, but as vaccinations increase and we see cases decreasing and we're starting to get back to normal, uh, what we want to do here tonight is just take a look at some of the lessons learned from COVID and put a spotlight on human behavior in the face of fear and uncertainty. And now you can say, I'm Mike. Oh yes, that's right. I am Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Forgot about that part. Yeah. Getting old. Exactly. So uh, drink discussion here, Stomp. You got anything uh, interesting that you're drinking this evening? Mm, I'm still sipping on last week's (laughs) margarita. (laughs) You are, oddly enough. I am still sipping on last week's Medford IPA. So no changes there, but we will share those on the show notes. um, Yeah, the ice cube's gone. Uh, It's nice and warm, but it's, it's tasty. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, just to let people know, we're uh, we're recording twelve and thirteen pretty close together. So not not. I haven't had enough time to drink the four pack that that's in my fridge. So I'm just going through <laughs> the Medford Brewing Company Navigator IPA. Mm, it's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Any recent hikes for you, Stomp? I have not. I've been sort of tied up editing um, podcast episodes. <laughs> very cool very cool i you? haven't gone out i haven't got on any hikes um unfortunately we've had a, um, a recent loss in the family mm-hmm. um so i would actually like to just quickly throw out a dedication for you know i want to um thoughts and prayers to uh to my family my mother-in-law passed away um yeah. last week and she's sort of the, the the rock of the family so it's been a, it's been a tough week uh for everybody yeah that's heartbreaking yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Kathy Twiggs, great lady. Um, matter of fact, I owe her such a huge debt of gratitude. First of all, for you know uh, having a lovely daughter that I married and had three kids with, but also um, Kathy and, and Tom, you know, have been so great to me. And you know, really like the the whole exposure to hiking and being in up north. Uh, I owe a lot of that to Kathy and Tom because they've got a lovely um, house up near the Freiburg area that I've spent the last 25 years going up, and, and it's really close to the mountains. So it's 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 been a rough week, but um, you know, not a lot of hiking going on. Mm. Yeah. Well, you've been in our thoughts and prayers, and uh, it's never easy. Yep. Yeah, Kathy, we uh, we love you and we we miss you. Yeah. Um, but I will say, Stomp, I did, um, I didn't get a chance to do any hiking, but I did do one kind of cool thing that I want to share with the audience. Uh, do you, Do you fish at all? I, I, I toyed around with it, but nothing serious. 
Yeah, yeah. Our friend Casey is the fishing expert. Oh, yeah. But, we should um, get him on sometime, right? Yeah, yeah. We definitely, he's got some good good stories to tell. But um, I did get a chance to go out and do deep sea fishing. So I, I live <laughs> in Massachusetts, kind of close to the ocean. Um, so I went out. Um, have you ever heard of that show Wicked Tuna on National Geographic? Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was, uh, I got together with my brothers and uh, we did a, a, a charter on a boat called the Hard Merchandise, which is one of the boats fr- featured on Wicked Tuna from National Geographic. So we went out with Captain Jay and Captain Joe and we did some haddock fishing and uh, caught some haddock and some cod. It was good times. Mm, that sounds like a good time. Yeah. yeah you know, can't beat they that. let me drive the boat too. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> they let me sit in the captain's chair. I don't know if I was driving. <laughs> How fast was it? Pretty peppy? I think they go like, uh, I don't know how knots. fast a knot is. So it's 11 <laughs> knots is what they were going. So I don't know how fast that is. Yeah. Oh, somebody in the audience can look that up quick. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It was probably like 20 miles an hour or something. Was your hair, so. was your hair blowing back in the wind? I was inside. It was inside. <laughs> so no, no, no hair blowing back. <laughs> that was a joke. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't have any hair to blow back. So. <laughs> Very cool. All right. So I got, uh, before we get into uh, our first segment, I did want to just give a heads up. Uh, I got some updates on the podcast website. Mm. Yeah. So I've been uh, putting together, I've been adding to my spreadsheet for search and rescue. So I've got a, uh, there's a search and rescue database that you can go through to look at every search and rescue event that's been published by the in the media for the last two years, 2019 to 2020. Uh, by the time this episode drops, there will be an update, so I will add the first four months of um, 2021 to that database so that we can compare month over month. So you'll be able to take a look and see, like, you know, what did January of 2019, January of 2020, and January of 2021 look like? And it'll answer the, uh, the, the ultimate question of are search and rescues increasing or not? So look forward to that, and um, you know I'm sure we'll throw some other stuff up on the podcast website. So always take a look at that at uh, slasherpodcast.com, S-L-A-S-R-podcast.com. Cool. So Stomp, you want to get into uh, talking about COVID? Oh, yeah. I love talking about COVID. Yeah. Can we, is it over? Can we, can we say it's over at this point, or, or are we still, is it still to be determined? I, I personally think it's over. It's endemic at this point. Yeah, it's over. We're moving on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think Massachusetts is ending the mass mandate on May 29th. I'm sure, it, like, it'll be a slow transition. Like, there's going to be a couple of weeks where, you know, it will be people still holding on to the masks. And you know, if you want to wear a mask, I have no issue with that. But I do think that we're we're, we're going to call it a call it an end to COVID around here. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, back last March, somewhere around like the 27th, I believe that's when Sununu put the stay-at-home order in place and, um, you know, being on a search and rescue team, it was an interesting time just trying to get our heads around how that would impact us on the trails and this and that. And uh, uh, feel free to jump in and ask me any questions about this. But initially, the teams were essentially taking an assumption of risk stance. You know, it's like, hey, this is happening. You know, we had a waiver, of course, from the stay-at-home because we're emergency services, volunteer groups. And Mm -hmm. um, we let our members know right off the bat, you assume the risk. If you're uncomfortable showing up with this new COVID outbreak going on, then just stay home. You know, search and rescue is going to continue. It's not going to stop. There will be injuries and and medical 
incidents on the on the trails that we're going to have to respond to. So everybody was trying to just get their heads around what was going on. Um, the day after that emergency order came out, Fish and Game came out with their own post um, on I think the twenty seventh. It was it was labeled outdoor recreation and COVID nineteen restrictions. Got it. And essentially, it sort of mirrored what um, the governor had stated in order number 17, the emergency order. But what's really interesting about this is um, Colonel Jordan, who is the chief law enforcement over at Fishing Game, he is quoted as saying, fresh air and being in nature are important for our mental health and people are encouraged to recreate safely, responsibly, and here's the kicker, close to home. And he goes on to say, this is not the time for epic hikes or backcountry adventures. We encourage people to enjoy nature in their backyard or neighborhood and to stay a safe distance from others while doing so. Okay, so this is sort of setting up the foundation for the the subsequent months to follow because what you have obviously are the state-by-state <clears throat> mandates and restrictions. You have an incredible migration of people moving from state to state out of big cities into the rural areas. You have, even within New Hampshire, you have different portions of the state trying to respond to this new migration and these new uh, stay-at-home orders. Like, what does this mean? Do I Can I go hiking um, an hour up the road at Mount Washington? Uh, do I have to stay like me here at Welch Dickey? I mean, what does this all mean? So it was a really interesting time. Yeah, yeah. And I know, um, you know, from my perspective, so I'm not on search and rescue, um, Massachusetts resident, pretty typical. Like I drive into the city every day. Um, I've been doing that for years. So I work in Cambridge, Mass, and, you know, tw- 20 plus years driving into Boston and, you know, doing that commute from, um, you know, the North Shore area of Massachusetts. So it typically, like, it take me an hour to hour and 10 minutes to get into the city early in the morning and then an hour and a half to two hours to get home. So we all transitioned into remote work. And, you know, from my perspective, you know, I would typically run along the Esplanade and sort of keep my sanity. So I did find, like, local local areas. I do live in an area that has a lot of, like, uh, trail systems, so I could run locally right from my house. Uh, but I, I want to hike. And, you know, from my perspective, when I think when COVID first kicked in and we had the sort of the reality of the fact that we were being asked to stay close to home, you know, I struggled mightily with it because it was, you know, from my perspective, I was like, well, I can drive an hour and 30 minutes to get to a trailhead, get out of my car, hike and drive an hour, 30 minutes back. And I will never see anybody. But I did hold the line and you know me personally i just felt like there was um you know too much going on and too much uncertainty with covid to get out there and hike but i can tell you i knew a lot of friends and a lot of people that lived locally in new hampshire that were doing hikes and i also knew a lot of people in massachusetts that were driving up on the weekends and you know it was a bit of a mixed mixed message i think like you talked about like the you know the the encouragement to to get out there and hike, mm-hmm. uh, but it was the you know I think the confusion was sort of like hike locally, and some people took the perspective to say like, well, if I can get in my car without stopping anywhere and drive to the trailhead, hike, and then come back and not stop anywhere, then 
you know, my my local hike can be as much as an hour and 30 minute drive north or, or west or whatever. So right. I think that's where <laughs> the issues started to come in. Well, sure. But yeah, I mean, the, the theory was back then that that person coming up could be sick and could infect rescue teams and EMS and local local hospitals, which are, you know, fairly lightly staffed and can't handle a big rush of respiratory uh, ill people. Yeah, yeah. And I know New Hampshire is definitely a much more rural area that does not have the capacity. And I think back then in like, you know, April and May of 2020, it was all about making sure that the the hospital and the medical systems did not get overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, there was a lot of stories about people saying like, you know, Hey, I'm getting sideways looks because I've got a Massachusetts license plate oh, and yeah. a lot of local folks in New Hampshire being like, look, you know, don't come up here and put us at risk. You know, we don't have the, the hospital bandwidth to, to be able to withstand this. So I think that there was a lot of tension and I definitely, I got into it in social media with people and I'm probably looking back. It's not, um, it's it's not surprising that there was this sort of like sort of i guess uh tension between the uh you know folks that live locally and then folks that have been coming up to to enjoy the region and hike from from out of state i mean new hampshire certainly had reason to be nervous because most of the cases that occurred were mostly in the southern portion of the state the southern third so i mean <clears throat> in that at that early stage i think the administration here was pretty wise to do what they did. I'm certain that it uh, probably curtailed a lot of uh, stress on the health system. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. And at the end of the day, when I look at the search and rescue event numbers, um, and I'll post this on the show notes, but you can see, it's actually very interesting data. You can see when you compare month over month. So if I look at what happened in March um, of 2019 and what happened in March of 2020, there were five media published search and rescue events in 2019 in March, and there was five in 2020. Where you see the big impact in COVID is that um, 2019 in April, there was 10 media published search and rescue events. In 2020, there was four. And I believe that even of those four, I think one or two of those was just a, uh, you know, fishing game walkout. So there wasn't, I think there might have been one or two carryouts um, in that in that group. And then in May of 2020, compared to May of 2019, May of 2019 had 19 media published search and rescue events. May of 2020 had four. So, hmm. you know, 2019, you had 29 total events across April and May in 2020, you had eight. So there was certainly, as much as it sort of got a lot of like concern and consternation about people coming up there and hiking, that data shows you that people were either, you know, if the volume was similar, they were taking less risk, or my guess is that there was probably a lot fewer people actually hiking than, than there was in the years past. Well, during that time frame, yeah. I think initially yeah. people were pretty terrified about you know, going out and risking because nobody knew what was going on. Nobody had data. And you're exactly right because once June opened up, I think it was around June where Sununu came out and said, like, we're going to, you know, encourage people to get outside. Mm -hmm. That's when search and rescue events leveled back to what we saw in 2019. It's a weird year. <laughs>
I think it's fake news that it was a busier year. I mean, our numbers were about the same. What did increase were the number of no response calls, um, you know, people calling without headlamps, that type of thing. There was a, yeah, there was yeah. a huge explosion in people just calling up, just lost, no headlamps. Where's the trail? You know, so that increased for sure. But in terms of actual volunteer time, uh, it went up a bit, but the missions were the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what I don't have the visibility into that. I only have data that makes the news. So yeah, I don't get those, you know, oh, somebody called and they're lost and they need someone to walk them out over the phone. Mm -hmm, right. Yeah. But uh, let me shift back to um, the search and rescue teams for a moment. So you have this early attitude of, you know, assumption of risk, this and that. Eventually that did morph um, per the governor into having the teams wear masks and, you know, fishing game instituted policies where we would put a mask on a patient and goggles, which is interesting. Putting an N95 and a goggle on a patient makes sense. That that was reasonable. Yeah. You know, coming up now, I think it's changing um, day by day. I think it will lighten up to the point where nobody's masked up, but um, that is in process. Yeah, yeah. And I think as a hiker, like I did get back into, I'm trying to remember, like, so I stayed home end of March, April, May. And then the other challenging thing here is like, there's a lot of people that live in different states that have a second home in New Hampshire or Maine. So they're coming back and forth. So it's not as simple as just saying like, okay, you're, you're, you're. some people make a decision to say like, okay, I'm now going to not live in my, in, in Massachusetts and I'm now going to live full time in New Hampshire and Maine. And it's like, what do you say to those people? Like, you know, no, you're not allowed to pick which house you want to live in. So there was a lot of people that ended up just like moving up to their second homes if they needed to. And I think around that time, you know, in probably June or July is when the numbers went down so significantly that we started opening up quite a bit. So I got back out there, I think around July mm -hmm. or so. And it was interesting. I mean, I wore a mask and, you know, I would keep like a bandana or a mask around my neck. And if I, you know, could get off trail and sort of step away 8 or 10, 12 feet, I would do that and let people pass by. Um, but a lot of times I would just throw a mask up and just say, you know, hi, how you doing, and, and then pull the mask back down. So I don't know how effective the mask is outside. It, it's, it's certainly like I think signals to people that, you know, you don't have any ill intent and that, you you know, you care about their, their health. So I was happy to do it. But I think I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to not wearing masks on the trail because I definitely couldn't spend much time hiking with one. It's just, a, you know, it's difficult to breathe. And like you said, they get wet. They get tugged at by trees and other stuff. It's just a pain in the neck. Right. To tie that into some of the rescues, I think the most fascinating thing in that early phase, you know, March, March 23rd, March 27th, these rescues that were happening, from what I understand, I'm not on social media at the moment, but um, some of the people that were getting rescued were, were getting some serious heat online for going hiking and, and, oh my God, how could you prompt a rescue in this time? Um, you're probably more aware of that than I am, but I, I'm thinking of the um, the hiker that slid down near the Cog Railway, a couple hundred feet, Burt Ravine. Do you remember that one? I do, I do. And I think that, you know, my recollection of that was that was just one of those like, hey, shit happens. Um, probably shouldn't have been in that area um, around that time, but 
you know, it's it's just a rough situation. But but what I'm saying is the pressure from all these agencies saying stay low and local, stay home. If we had known then what we know now about how the 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 disease operates, then I don't think any of this would have happened. You know, there's there's information coming out weekly, if not daily, about how it spreads, how it doesn't really spread on surfaces, this and that. I feel bad for folks that got put into this situation and um, yeah, experienced that shame and whatever else they went through on social media. It's sort of unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, that, that case that you specifically cited, like, but I think we shut down my office on March 17th. And then that event happened on March 23rd. I We'd have to look back in time, Stomp, but I'm pretty sure that there wasn't a lot of guidance going on, uh, you know, on March 23rd. I think it was probably early April or late March where they really started to, you know, give people a little bit more specific guidance. I'd have to look at the dates, but I do know the AMC 4,000-footer club like shut down recognizing hikes but mm-hmm. i don't think that that was until april so i think those very early cases there like i i'd, I'd cut them some slack because i think that like the the whole idea of like low and local wasn't really communicated to anybody until probably going into early april yeah i think it was actually a little earlier but you know i'm not gonna go <laughs> dig up the dates at this point but there yeah, was definitely yeah. a vibe and a feeling that people should stay close to home until we got a handle on what was going on. Yeah. And, and I certainly like, you know, I can remember in April and May, like the every weekend, cause I watched this stuff pretty closely. Like I had this anxiety. I was like, you know, if there's going to be a search and rescue, don't be an out of stater because that's going to cause a whole bunch of problems. You know, it's much better off if you are a, you know, a, a local. And I do think, you know, if I look at these, matter of fact, I'm looking at the database right now. And I can see all the April, April and May rescues were New Hampshire locals, um, with the exception of it looks like two in May. At the very end of May, were Massachusetts people. So mm. uh, the majority were were New Hampshire residents, which were, and they were all pretty much local, with the exception of um, I think those two at the very end of May. Mm-hmm. So, no out-of-staters, luckily. Good. Yeah, that's that's good. Anything like that? Was there anything in search and rescue? Like, do you, I'm assuming, like, airborne illnesses, like, other than COVID, like, I, I can't imagine that you guys ever worried about, like, catching the flu or catching a cold or pneumonia or anything like that from from your rescue patients. Like, you don't think that there'll be any any interest in requiring patients to um, do face coverings in the future once we definitely have the, the green light that COVID, is, COVID restrictions are done. No, there's been no talk of that. The CDC is really having a hard time showing that there's asymptomatic spread. I don't see them instituting or, or pressing policy to discourage people from hiking regarding that. Got it. Yeah. What do you think? You think long-term, like have we... Have we changed it as a society? Like, are we are we going to be able to bounce back from this and sort of be able to walk near each other and, and go up and talk to somebody on the trail? Or are we always going to have this sort of fear of other people because of COVID? What do you, what do you think? Oh, I think that the psychological damage has been done. 
without question, I think it's going to take years to recover that. If you look at the CDC, the NIH, who their information was so inconsistent at times about certain things, and I think there was a good deal of neglect as to valid studies and research out there uh, surrounding exposure and uh, the spread and this and that. And I think um, the damage that that caused is just going to take years to overcome. Yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy. I mean, from my perspective, like, it's just, I couldn't keep up with anything. I stopped watching the news. I was watching, you know, that's why I got into Wicked Tuna is I just, I gave up on watching the news and reading the news. And I just said, I'm just going to wear a mask and hope that no one gets upset at me. And I will follow whatever guidelines are given to me around hiking. And you know, that's, that's sort of the way that I did it, but it will be like, I'm definitely not going to be quick to shake anybody's hands in the future. Um, you know, I won't be wearing a mask once we get the mandate to say like, yeah, you don't have to wear a mask. Although I think that's already happened outdoors. Um, Let me just bring up, I mean, just to dig into that question a little further, let's take New Hampshire for example. There were 1300 deaths. Okay. This is from NewHampshire.gov, COVID-19, 1,300, and 62% were 80-plus. So this is is a disease of the elderly, the obese, with multiple medical conditions. So I don't think we have that much to worry about. We really don't. Yeah, I was always joking with my friend. I was like, I think like the city of Everett probably had more deaths than the whole state of New Hampshire um, with COVID. And obviously, every death is a tragedy, and you don't want to... uh, yeah, you don't want to see anybody die. And but the the scary thing about COVID that always freaked me out was like, I agree with you. Like, yeah, elderly people, people that have, um, you know, other medical conditions. But every once in a while, like I would hear a story or I would find out about somebody that was relatively a little bit younger, like in their forties or fifties, that didn't have any obvious medical issues, and they would get hit with COVID and die. So there is a little bit of that sort of like getting hit by lightning. Um, aspect to this thing that just freaks me out a little bit. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not gonna. I would never knock anybody from being overly cautious about it. But you're right. In general, it was a disease for you know older people, people that weren't in good medical um, health overall. But you know, it's it's just interesting. We'll see how uh, long term what whether it was worth all these lockdowns. Mm. Yeah, the people you're going to meet on trail are in the low risk category. So you really have to reframe the whole situation based upon the survivability and everything else. Otherwise, you will be living in probably a degree of irrational fear. And the information's yeah. out there. I mean, CDC, unfortunately, I don't think the media and like, these, these agencies did enough to promote the actual survivability. And I think that did some harm, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, it's very, it was a very interesting, uh, what are we going on, about 15 months at this point, so I'm looking forward to it being over. Um, There was a lot of interesting lessons learned, there was a fair amount of, you know, I think perceived distrust around, um, you know, where people traveling in and out of New Hampshire. Um, You know, at the end of the day, I think we all learned some important lessons. And, you know, I'm just looking forward to putting it in the rearview mirror and hoping that um, we never have another one of these weird viruses pop up again. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Pretty depressing stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anything else? Any other thoughts on this before we move on to search and rescue? Not really. I I do have an uplifting series of tick jokes if you want to hear them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So have you, you haven't gotten any ticks this year yet, have you? Oh, my God. We just had one. It was one on my arm the other night, just inside the house. I'm like, where the heck did 
did this thing come from? That's oh, the first. Oh, man. I had to walk through like this super tall grass the other day and I was freaking out. I was like, I was doing like these big high steps. Like, you know how the track, like the, the um, hurdlers will do those big like hip lit. Like I was doing those lifts, like, cause I was afraid I was going to get covered in ticks, but I didn't get any on me. It's funny. They're brutal. But yeah, yeah, this was supposed to be delivered by Tick Chick, but she's on tour, so she couldn't make it to the podcast. So here you right. go. I, I'm starting to think that Tick Chick doesn't even exist, but continue. Oh, she will. She'll, she'll show. Right. She will. Okay. Pressure's mounting. All, All right, ready? Right. So if you laugh yep. at these, then you're in trouble. How do ticks get around? They itch hike. <laughs> Such a dad joke. All right, continue. <laughs> what do you call a tick that lives on the moon? Come on, this is easy. I give up. I'm horrible at these. A lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of tick is explosive? A dynamite. I don't understand that A one. mite. It's a mite. Oh, a dynamite. Got it, got it, got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, these are the worst or what? There's only a couple others. Oh. You're going to love this. Oh, our ratings are plummeting. Oh, yeah. What do you call ticks in an open relationship? I give up. Politics, of course. <laughs> what, do you, what do you call a depressed tick from Rome? A hopeless romantic. Oh, God. All right. And they, Next subject. <laughs> yeah, right. This is, this is the last one, I promise. Ready? Okay. Uh, hopefully COVID clears up before tick season. Otherwise, we'll be having corona and Lyme. <laughs> God. <laughs> That's all, all I right. got we for you. We are never doing a tick joke segment again. <laughs> I'm here all week. <laughs> all right. Did you did you go online and did you make those up yourself or did you go online and steal them? They're online. <laughs> it's so bad, but they're so funny. So for the audience's <laughs> sake, like we text, like so me and Stomp text back and forth about like ideas for the show and Stomp. He's like throwing this idea of like we gotta do tick jokes. So I think he slipped a couple <laughs> in in the when we did the tick segment. But he's like, this is like probably he, t- he, he texted me earlier today, and he's like, we're going to do a tick joke segment. And I, was, I think it was like the third time he's mentioned it to me, and I was like, all right, whatever, we'll do it. So, But <laughs> you got your tick jokes out. I got them. I got them. I got it off my skin. Get it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, uh, so. Oh, man. That was a good one. All right. All right. Maybe next time, like, we do have to get tick chick so she can <laughs> deliver the, the question, and then you can give the punchline oh, or something. Sure. <laughs> it's just a weekly so. tick update, you know, like a weather report. It's important. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but you want to get into... So people don't go frantic. Yeah, exactly. So you want to get into the next uh, next segment here? We got, we got search and rescue stuff to cover. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. This has been an interesting week. We had several incidents in one day actually this was wednesday last wednesday um uh the first one all right we we've covered the permi loop and this story is um pretty amazing uh it's a group of younger people that are attempting to do uh the ambitious pemijawasset loop the 31 mile loop um right out of lincoln there are three people, um, let's see, they're hiking with a brother and three cousins. They started the morning of the 17th. It was the first trip to the Whites by this group. They, it looks like they're from Indiana? Yeah, definitely out of state. So the PEMI, as you know, is, is 31 miles, eight summits, 
So on the night of the 18th, 9 p.m., one of the members just gassed out and became exhausted as the group had not made it to their intended tent site. It goes on to say that uh, when this person's companions arrived at Garfield Pond, they turned around and hiked back to this person's location. So, uh, so I'm assuming, based on where they're tenting, mm-hmm. that they are going Garfield tent clockwise. Site. So they're going to go up Osseo and then across Franconia Ridge and then camp at the uh, Garfield Pond. There's a tent site down there. How do you get that? Well, I mean, otherwise, it would be a longer first day. So I'm assuming that, I mean, I don't know. I'm guessing. But, I mean, if, if, if they're camping at Garfield and it's their first night, then I'm assuming that that's, they're going clockwise. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not quite sure, really. So they went back to find this person that was just exhausted. They took his backpack and tried to get him to the tent site. So I'm assuming they're at Garfield tent site as well. Yeah. For this first day, they arrive back to the tent site without the person. Now, this is the, this is the second part of the story that is just, I don't know, shaking my head. I guess the group called New Hampshire Fishing Game the next morning at ten thirty to report him missing. I, I, am I reading that correctly? Yeah, I have so many questions about this. So they so many questions. They're at the tent site. It's the the first night he's missing, exhausted. He's gone all night. Is that correct? I believe that's the case. So they 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 lost him, went back, got him, but ended up just taking his backpack and then that was it. Left him again without his backpack. And then he's gone all night. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, it's amazing. So an AMC hut construction crew uh, assisted in a search with fishing game officers, and um, on the second day, seven thirty p.m., they were notified by a hiker that she had located the individual, point one, from Garfield Ridge tent site. He was uninjured and able to hike. So I don't know what happened. I, I Maybe, I, I mean, I'm entering into the speculation here, but they had his pack. Does that mean that they had his light source and everything else? <laughs> so I he have tr- no idea. So he tried to find the tent site? It's so odd. Yeah. It's such an odd story, and... um I wonder, you know, who knows? It's family members. Maybe they're in a, maybe they're in a little bit of an argument or something. But it just seems very bizarre. And I'm wondering, what did the guy do that night? He must have just like <laughs> curled Roamed up and slept, slept along a rock <clears throat> or something. I have no idea. It's just fascinating. You know what I might, you know what my theory is? Oh, what's that? It's another one <laughs> that got abducted by aliens. <laughs> Yeah. Is, is there any talk about uh, not recalling what happened the night before? <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. But this could be. So we've got a couple of cases where we've got potential alien abduction. So we're going to put this one as a as a potential. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. It's so awesome. But I mean, again, it goes back to like the basics, like stick together. You know, you're only as fast as the slowest person you're hiking with. Bingo. And if somebody's exhausted, like just sit with them, give them liquid, give them food, let them rest for a little while to recover. Especially, I mean, winter conditions is a little bit different. You got to keep moving. But like in these conditions, I don't think it was that cold. Like you just give them a little bit of rest, give them some food, let them recover their energy and then get going. Mm -hmm. The other interesting thing here is that like all of a sudden the heat hit this week. So... Yeah. This this guy's yeah. probably, you know, dehydrated, 
obviously, you know, heat exhaustion, I would assume. Who knows? And it takes your body a while to get used to that heat. You know, when it hits, it takes a bit. Oh, yeah. I just traveled down to Florida last month. And, you know, normally I'll run five, six, seven miles in the morning and it's no problem. Mm -hmm. I got down to Florida, tried to run, and I did four and a half, five miles. And it felt like I ran 15 because it was just so much warmer and, and the humidity just hits you differently. Yeah. Uh, so here's story number two. And by the way, these are um, stories written by Sergeant Heidi Murphy, who I had the opportunity to meet um, over the last few months. And um, she's moving up into the SAR management realm, and um, she's going to be a really, really great addition. She's awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, it's and it's funny, too, the headline on this one is Wild Wednesday in the White." I noticed so that. They, oh, yeah, yeah. So the little, little bit of a, yeah. Yeah, she's cool. Like, that's her, yeah. that's got to be her title that she wrote. So it's, it just gives you a, an insight into her personality. She's just very bright and just awesome, upbeat. Uh, it's really exciting. Yeah, yeah. So these all, all these events went down on the same day, so three of them. <laughs> Yeah. So here's number two, 12.40 p.m., another call comes in for a 50-year-old female who was unable to continue her hike. Uh, this is a person from Michigan, and they were hiking Flume Gorge Trail, Franconia Notch. And according to the report, she was having difficulty breathing and was starting to get cramping. So that's, that's a classic sign of dehydration, loss of electrolytes, fishing game notified park staff of her location or approximate location and they were able to assist her back to her vehicle this was assisted by lincoln fire department isn't is flume gorge trail is that in like that tourist area there or is it on the ascent to get to like the flume slide i don't know 100%. I, I assume that it was actually inside the Flume Gorge Park. That's where the I gorges think it is. are. I think that there's like, I think there's like boardwalk area and then right. you exit the boardwalk and then there's like a about a mile worth of trails that are like traditional trails that you walk back on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not the longest, um, you know, series of trails, but you never know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is the time of the year where I do start, like, like you said, like I, I'll, I take um, salt tablets mm. to help with cramping. So I'll throw one or two of those in before I start hiking. Um, I bring, I think they're called Nun tablets, N-U-U-N. Right, right. And they have like grape and orange flavor. They're like, they, they put a little bit of carbonation in the water, but it's electrolyte. So sometimes I'll drop those in and then a lot of times I'll just stop and get a Gatorade. Yeah, it's great stuff super Keep important a little bit extra yeah so water is great but add a little extra to your water if you can yeah especially in the hot weather yeah now um <clears throat> so that's number two and then here's number three 5 p.m another call comes in um 73 year old female suffering a medical issue along you guessed it the falling waters trail in lincoln that's a very very common trail for rescue incidents this person was from new jersey uh, she was about a mile and a half up, which which is actually a, a decent location for search and rescue teams to be able to assist and package and carry them out. If you go beyond that 1.5 area, it gets a lot more challenging. Um, and you actually have to start doing technical belay rope and things like that just for the safety of the uh, the patients. Yeah. So PEMI, Valley Search and Rescue, 
and fishing game were able to carry this individual back to the trailhead by 8.20. So pretty quick. I mean, it's 5 p.m. call, 8.20 return. That's a good, quick turnaround. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Kind of the classic, somebody's going up falling waters a little too far, and uh, they just had a medical issue. And, you know, a little bit of an older person, so they always get scary. Mm -hmm. You you never know what the experience level is here for these folks, but, you know, not from the area, so maybe hasn't been exposed to this kind of elevation recently, but um, that is pretty good timing there, so... Get the call at five, and then you know they must have been. If they got back to the trailhead by eight twenty, they must have somebody must have got to her by like about six fifteen or so. Yeah, um, it was it was very quick, quick turnaround. Great turnout by uh, yeah. Pemi too. They had like twenty people show up. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's amazing. Do you know like when when you have like something that's a medical issue? Say like, and again, I this was not the case in this this particular one. But if somebody's having like a heart attack or a stroke or something like that, do they have like some way to be like, look, we need to get there urgently, or is it always the same sense of urgency in every every call, regardless of what the what the medical situation is? No, depending on the on the circumstances, because uh, again, you're you're generally able in most cases to talk to people, or at least people that a victim is with, so you get a good sense of the status of somebody. Um, in a case like this, it may have been a little more urgent, knowing that it was potentially something bigger going on than what what appears to yeah, be the, heat like exhaustion, a twisted ankle or something. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, it it does depend on the situation. Now, listen, there's um, one other here. Do you want to cover the moat? Yeah, I mean, so there was three right in that sort of like. Lincoln, Pemi area, and then we had a fourth on the same day too. Mm-hmm. I was going to suggest you cover it if you if you're able because you just hiked it recently, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, I did, but I think so. This happened on the Moat Mountain Range, so I had hiked South Moat and um, Middle Moat. I didn't go to North Moat. Okay, and it doesn't specify in this one, but basically what it says is that. Um, Bartmouth, uh, Bartlett Jackson Ambulance, North Conway Fire and Rescue, and Lakes Region Search and Rescue in New Hampshire Fishing Game responded to a report of an injured hiker in Bartlett on the Moat Mountain Trail. So because they referenced Bartlett, I'm kind of assuming that they were on the North Moat side mm-hmm. um, of the trail. But uh, the rescue is located um, 61-year-old female hiker out of Tennessee, approximately 1.7 miles from the trailhead, with an injured knee after falling on uh, loose rock on the trail. Hmm. Um, it sounds like the victim was able to walk um, a little ways and was sub- subsequently carried in a litter uh, to the ambulance. So I, it doesn't say in the press release, but my guess is that this person was on the um, you know the north moat side, which is sort of like the entrance way to that is uh, Diana's bath in that area there. It looks like she was d- up about a mile or two. How many miles to the summit? I think it's about four, three or four miles to the summit okay. from from the trailhead. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think if if as my assumption, if I assume that. Um, assuming I'm correct, then she would have hiked past Diana's bath and then a little ways up. And, you know, I can't remember really what the terrain is there. I do know that it's a pretty wide trail around Diana's Bath area, but that it does ascend pretty uh, significantly as you get up to North Mode. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So, but knee injury, and you know, it sounds like she was doing her best to make her way back, but they finally got to her, and, and, and as you say, packaged her up and, and got her out to an ambulance. Yeah. So weird. Four four rescues on a random Wednesday in, in May. <laughs> that weird. It is. I mean, I've been waiting for the boom, and uh, looks like it it hit. And um, you know, as we record this, I thought for sure that this night would be chaotic but uh it's yet to come to fruition but th- it always happens when it's when it hits 80 they're gonna come up and there's still a lot of snow up there too i mean it's this is a separate thing for like injuries orthopedic injuries but the snow i had some co-workers that did um eisenhower this wednesday and they Describe the snow up near the summit as just post hole city, you know, where you can look into the hole like five feet deep. So it's a mess up there still. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I did that Willie Tom field um, ridge. I didn't hike Tom, but like it was monorail the whole way up. It was micro spikes. That was two weeks ago. And then I just saw somebody posted they did a Pemi loop today and they said the twin way was. Uh, the Twinway section is always a, a tough area because it doesn't get hit with a lot of snow. And they said it was a mess, totally like um, just still monorail, but all chopped up and, and miserable. So even, you know, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of people talking about doing Pemi loops and it's still gross mm. in, in that back section there. So good luck to you if you want to do it, but I'm waiting a couple of more weeks. Yeah, you mentioning the uh, the post holing on Twin, that reminds me of Mark Lindenberg, Nobby Hikes aka Nobby yes. Hikes. He uh when I first met this guy a couple years ago, he was post holing so much that he he quit the Pemi loop at Garfield tent site and um anyway, that that's a side story because I just want to give props to him right now. He's he's starting from Monadnock and he's going to he's going straight to the Canadian border. I guess his plan is to go to Monadnock, Sunapee and then jump onto the Coas trail. Um, over the next few weeks. So we'll see how this uh, develops, but we're keeping track. Best of luck to him. I haven't heard of anybody stringing those together. I'll be curious. We'll have him on the show, um, but I'll be, I'm, the thing I'm most curious about is how is he connecting Sunapee to the southern terminus of Cohos, or is he just skipping? I, I don't know. I think that um, is called call stomp for a ride. <laughs> oh, is that what he's doing? <laughs> Oh, I got that. I saw I got him the put call. the call out for a ride. So, <laughs> so is he? So he's doing um, Monadnock, Sunapee, and then he's going to skip to the uh, Canadian border and then hike south. I actually don't know what direction he's going. I, th- I, I I'm really not sure about that. To be honest with you, I know that he was going to. Dr- I thought he was dropping his car at the Canadian border, but oh, okay, I, yeah. So I'm thinking he's going north the whole trip. Yeah, uh, I'm going up there. I'm going to be up in. I'm going to hike McGalloway and Table Rock, so I'll be going up into, what's that, Pittsburgh, New Hampshire, way up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful so, country. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But uh, any other any other rescues, or is it down to these four? That's it. We covered yeah, them all. The, the, only, the only other thing I will say about these rescues, and again, I, you know, I feel like there's a, and you're a New Hampshire resident now, but I do feel like there's a bit of a, like, sort of chest pounding about, like, it's all these out-of-staters that come in here and get in trouble, and us New Hampshire people are perfect, and, you know, the New Hampshire people get in trouble sometimes, but it, it, in a sense, I do kind of agree that it is a lot of out-of-staters that get in trouble, but um, if you look across these four people that got in trouble, you've got Indiana, Tennessee, New Jersey, 
and um, we got one other one, Michigan. So right. you definitely have uh, a well-represented uh, population of Midwesterners that <laughs> get in trouble in the white. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what that what what that tells you. Well, I don't, I don't think it says much. I mean, two point five million people visit this area yearly. So who knows? I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think I think residency doesn't have much to do with it. What I do think is a factor, and I tell this to people all the time, is like the rocks, the roots, the wet, muddy environment here. Like you, over the over the years, you develop like a sixth sense mm-hmm. on how to walk in this terrain. <laughs> yep. And you know, I think I don't even think twice about it anymore. But like, if you're not used to it, like if you're used to just walking on, you know, well-groomed like trails and things like that like it's it's pretty shocking to come up to the whites and and deal with some of the gnarly um terrain that we have here Mm, things that you would think would be safe are like ice skating rinks (laughs) like root like a root uh Yeah. yeah yeah i agree that's a good point yeah all right man well this was a good show lucky number 13 and uh i guess we'll call this a wrap all right have a good one stomp you too thank you for listening If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered on today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information on slasserpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until next time, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fishing Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.